This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez with you here on, uh, we're recording this Thursday morning. Well, actually close to noon Thursday, I guess, right? Yeah, so busy, busy week as we uh, as the spring sports are firing up. We got basketball to talk about, a little bit of good news, a little bit of bad news in the most recent UCF basketball games from last night. Uh, the women got a comeback victory over a rather tough Tulane team. Uh, we're going to uh, hear from Brian Kanyeko, uh, the uh, head women's tennis coach at UCF as his team season is underway. Bryson Turner's going to drop by later. We got a busy show, Eric. This is going to start feeling like an actual spring show where we don't have to reach things. We even got football news, and it wouldn't be a, a no, UC, not it wouldn't foot, be a, more football I, news. <laughs> it wouldn't be a black and gold banner at podcast without some conference realignment talk. Okay, too. So it's a little bit of news from the Orlando Sentinel. That's right, because college football media doesn't know what to do with themselves when there's no college football. So let's just talk about nonsense. Hey, look. Nonsense sells, man. Uh, joining us to uh, start <laughs> to start everything up, Kyle Nash, the student of the game, is joining us. Classes in session uh, to talk uh, hoops. We'll start with the men uh, last night. Who? Uh, well, this was kind of a frustrating one. Lost to Wichita in Wichita, eighty-four seventy-nine. All right. A couple facts to put out there: UCF has never beaten Wichita State. All right, they are now 0-8 all-time, and if I'm not mistaken, 0-5 all-time at, uh, uh, at uh, what what the heck's his name? Oh, yeah, Charles Koch, Charles Koch Arena in, uh, in Wichita. Um, this was a particularly frustrating one since uh, they started out, Kyle, absolutely horrendous from the field. I think they hit, what what was it, Eric? One of their first 11 shots to go down early. Something like that, yeah. Uh, like two of their first 16, yeah. Kept, Another- kept crawling back, crawling back. Got it within four late, but just couldn't get over the hump. I mean, you give up 84 points, you know, you're kind of asking for it. But um, this is the situation right now. They're 12 and six and 500 in the American. And this is the second time this season, Kyle, that UCF has lost to a team that was previously winless in the American. All right, they were they lost to USF, of course, on the road. Lost to Wichita State on the road. Now, I think Wichita State's a better team than USF, and I actually think they're better than the record indicates. But this is you know, this is this is where we are right now. Is is a twelve and six team that's five hundred in the conference? What happened last night? Well, I mean, I think you touched on it. it. It's trite, but a slow start and, and then rough defense throughout the game is is kind of the situation here, right? I mean, when, when you look at it, you got all the things you want to see in a Dawkins coached team towards a win, right? You got your three contributors with double digits, almost four with uh, Darren Green having the nine points. Um, mm-hmm. Brandon Mahan, Elo, you've been calling calling for his wake up for some time now. 20 points out of him with six for 14. That's That's something you like to see. Um, a double double, apparently, by the way. Um, so there's a lot of the elements you want to see this. I think, you know, listen, all of that. Tell, the, the score is as close as the game was in this case. You know, uh, for me, it's it, I think it was more just kind of a defensive struggle. Right. I mean, when you see when you see what uh, UCF put up there, the numbers, they, they, they show 
what has been a winning effort in the past, right? But then, you know, where you right. see where you see um, Wichita chucking it from the cheap seats for nine for 23. But the big one for me, gentlemen, they got to the foul line 40 times. Yeah. Now, yeah. I know this group plays <laughs> tough, but you got to be more disciplined than that, right? Well, well, here's the thing. with this: the, the, Ricky Council came off the bench for Wichita State uh, and scored uh, 31 points in 31 minutes, and he was 16 of 20 at the line. This is a guy who came in third on the team in scoring at 11.1. And Wichita State's ace, Tyson Etienne, averaged 14.3 a game. UCF did a really good job on him. Held him to two for 13 from the floor, one of eight from three-point range, just five points in the entire game. But Council just went off. Right. Well, and and what's the strategy a lot of coaches will do? Take away the weapon. You're not going to beat me that way. I dare you to beat me another way. And yeah, I'll dare you to I'll dare you to beat me with your third best player. And that's exactly what happened. And the shockers shocked them with him. Yes, I I got you. You set me up for the punt. It's not fair, Jeff. I I thought I had the dad joke thing cornered on this podcast. Um, Elo, let's look at let's zoom out here. Okay. Because everyone is in freak out mode. I, I personally thought I, I I didn't think, you know, looking at the schedule that this one was a win. I thought that if we if we oh, it's Wichita. Wichita, we'll never win there. Nobody it's, listen. It's a steal it's a steal. It's like football in Tulsa, right? <laughs> yeah, it's the equivalent. Like, you know, Kyle brought up the point about the forty free throws, but they give away they love to shoot free throws in Wichita. They call not not to not not to kind of exaggerate a little bit, but our old friend Brian Murphy went to Wichita, covered the game for us, and the refs gave him 10 free throws himself. He got to shoot 10 free throws when he was there. So <laughs> if you're a media person, you get to shoot free throws. You get a free throw. Yeah, you um, get a free throw. You get a free throw. Pull that guy out of the stands. But, you know, unfortunately for them, though, they got off to the bad start, as we talked about, and defensively they gave up 84 points. And as Johnny Dawkins, UCF head basketball coach, told Mark Daniels on the radio postgame show, uh, we can't have that. I warned our guys we can't keep putting ourselves in that position, and uh, we got a slow start. And you give them credit. I mean, I thought they played a really good game. Uh, I thought they established themselves in the low post, which gave them some momentum early. Uh, Edizi did a great job down there, and and, uh, and we have to be better defensively. You have to be better in the post defensively. We have to be better on the perimeter. Things that we have got to improve in. Like, we can't give up 84 points in a basketball game. That's just not who we are defensively. And it starts on that end of the floor. And then that, between that and, and, and defensive rebounding, uh, closing the possessions out, you know, we have to get better in those areas. And that's what we're going to focus on. All right, that was Coach Dawkins in the uh, postgame. Really frustrated with the defense. And that's the thing that, that certainly frustrates him there. The slow start is one thing and the offensive struggles. But the defense, the defensive rebounding, uh, just giving up 84 points. Kyle's, you mentioned fouling, not being disciplined. It's frustrating. Uh, it's frustrating because this is where the Temple loss and the South Florida loss really hurts because if you win maybe one of those two games, you know, this Wichita loss is not as big of a deal, but, you know, you don't have as much room for error. And, oh, by the way, you got a top 10 team in the country coming to coming to Orlando on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that the – I'm looking ahead at the rest of the schedule – Obviously, the Houston game is huge. You know, you're four and four in conference. I was looking ahead at the schedule here. With we got ten games to go in the regular season, and Kyle, I want to know what you think about this. Mm-hmm. I'm just going through. I'm going to list them off real quick. Houston home, South Florida home, at Memphis, home Wichita, home Tulsa, 
at Houston. Yikes. Uh, home ECU, home Cincinnati, and then you wrap at Tulane at Tulsa. They sent us to Tulsa in the regular season finale. Um, I'm looking at those 10 games, and let's put the Houston game at home on Saturday aside, and I'm counting probably about 6-3, and three, all yeah. right, for UCF going, going forward. So that would put them at 18-9 and nine pending the outcome of Saturday's Houston game. They win that game against Houston. They're at 19-9 and nine heading into the conference tournament. So where does that where does that do you think that really puts them? I don't think they're they're in at, at large territory at that point. I, I think they're still obviously still on the outside looking at it, and then they would have to but then the question becomes do they have to win the conference tournament or could they play themselves in to in, into the into the NCAAs with a good showing? What do you think? Um, so, and we'll take it more optimistic. You're, you're saying six and three for those nine. I would have said seven and two. So, I mean, we'll just say 19 and nine either way. Right. So okay. with that in mind, um, I feel like that that's definitely not good enough for an at large. I'm with you. Um, and, but maybe, so I say that to say, if they get to the tournament to face off against and face off against Houston in the final, nobody would have had them in that game in the first place. And if they can keep it close and kind of put on a good show in that final game, maybe they can convince maybe somebody. pull it off. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's probably more likely that you know conference tournament time, you know, Houston might you know put the guardrails on a little bit, and UCF would end up playing a team like like possibly Wichita State in the final. I would, um, and and that's very true too. Um, from from where I sit, and I granted I haven't watched a lot of Houston yet. Um, I am going to see them Saturday, um, but <laughs> with with that in mind, uh, I feel like from from what I from what bit I've seen and researched on this team, even when the guardrails are on, there's gonna be they're gonna be quite a force, man. So yeah. even I mean, even though they're hurt too. Like, yeah, over and above. That's a good point by you, Jeff. Yeah, over and above that, I, I still feel like they're a particularly intimidating out. You know, they're, they're, that's the reason why they're only in the top 25 and not like, you know, in the top 10 where they were earlier in the season, right? You know, so maybe if, like, I would say their best, UCF's best hope to get to the tournament is, with that 19-9 and nine would be to get past the conference semifinal. I don't see that happening. There's a lot of stumbling blocks between there, here and there that they'd have to get to. But by the same token, I feel like there's an element of um, resolve that could take place. I say that to say, right, they, um, let's say, hosting Wichita State, they win and put themselves in a position to raise their confidence. You know, they, they beat some of these teams um, that they've lost to. I shouldn't say some of, but them and UCF, uh, USF. On the road, if they've come to beat them at home and start to regain that confidence, move towards that 19 and nine, they might put them in a position in a tournament to do something like that. That's the nature of tournament play, right? It's just as psychological as it is physical. The issue is going to be the league is down this year. So outside of Houston, you're not going to get marquee non-conference wins. Or when you say, well, let me ask ask you this. When you say the league is down, all right, Houston's net is three. Next up is well, this is what you mean since I'm still scrolling. Uh, <laughs> yeah. SMU, forty nine. And by the way, then, I think I think they're the second best team in the league. Kendrick Davis and you know and company. I think they're the best shot for an at large 
uh, that's not named Houston. Cincinnati's at 69, is 69, nice. Uh, and then you have 78 Memphis, 82 UCF, 83 Wichita. So there's, I feel like there's more, it's, it's not that the league is down, to me, I look at it as like the league is tough. Everyone's beating up nah, on each other. I mean, but they no, they didn't have a good non-conference win resumes. Memphis has been a debacle and yeah. an embarrassment. Penny Hardaway <laughs> is out cursing um, media people, mad because they're criticizing his team. Meanwhile, the same guy that said before the year they can win the national title. Okay, so Penny is having a meltdown. Uh, so they've been a <laughs> colossal. But failure. let's not okay. They're not a bad basketball team, though. No, they are. They are, are, they, they are a no, poorly coached basketball team. Have they? Okay, but here they are at ten and eight and eighty-two. Yeah, with a. Top they're not 20. U.S. They're not USF at two hundred and something. Yep. Yeah, no, but here's the thing: like UCF fans can be mad all they want about Coach Dawkins. UCF is playing to their level. Memphis is underperforming. That's when you get mad at your coaching. It's when your team underperforms. And I know people think UCF's underperforming, but they're not. We are what we are. We do some things good, do some things that are not so great. We're not that consistent. But you guys just mentioned it. This team still has a chance to win, what, 19, 20 wins? Yeah, Maybe. and get to 20 wins. They can get to 20 wins yeah. at the co- by, by the postseason. Yes. Yeah. You want to know how many UCF coach basketball coaches have done that in the Division One era, like consistently win that consistent? One. He's right now the coach. Period. <laughs> and I'm the biggest Kirk Sparrow apologist that he wasn't that consistent, and Donnie certainly wasn't. So um, I think to get to the final is your shot to be in the conversation to make the NCAA. If not, you're playing for the NIT. But I don't think that's the end of the world, contrary to what others think. As I've mentioned in previous really? podcasts. Because I, I heard like, you know, it's it's like Sweet 16 or like just cancel the program. That's well, that's what, the same. At least that's that what the think, people on Twitter are telling me. Well, that's know? the those are the they same. They never people. they're never wrong, by the way. That's the same <laughs> audience that thinks that UCF doesn't go undefeated in football. It's a colossal <laughs> failure. So let's just kind of mute that. Um so look, it is what it I is. I, I think the Houston, they have to win if they to have a shot as an at-large, they have to win at least one of the two Houston games, and this is gonna be their best shot. They're yeah. hosting them in their backyard. Houston's been banged up, but Calvin Sampson is just a beast. They just they don't care who's on the court. They just they defend. They only give up 56 points a game. That's going to be a challenge for UCF yes. offensively against that Houston defense. They lose Marcus Sasser, who we thought was their best player. Who steps up? Kyler Edwards, who's stepped into that role. I mean, they are yeah. a machine over there. And um, it's going to be their hands full for UCF. UCF. It's going to have to execute well offensively. You cannot have any droughts against Houston. And you better rebound because the one thing Houston does is they like to rebound. And where UCF's had problems with Houston is they get blown up in the in the glass, which has been an issue for this team this season. Yeah. I, I, it's – yeah. I mean – okay. Kyle, I'll, I'll put this to you first, but I want to ask the both of you. UCF wins – if UCF wins on Saturday, is anyone – like what's the, what's the story? Is everyone like, oh, my gosh, like – Wow, there's really hope here. Or are they like, oh gosh, you know, of course we win the game after losing to Wichita State, you know, it, it, like that that kind of reaction. Like, what's what's the reaction? Can can I say both? Because um, you know, <laughs> um, over over the past you know five years of me covering UCF football, um, in that space I have encountered what I call the hater fan. Um, you know, the, <laughs> the, the, the you know the, the, there's one of these that have some sort of an icon of like you know 
you know, some melding of the citronade and, 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 and nitro or, you know, the Pegasus or, you know, are active in the debate of which logo should be used in uniforms and all that. I, I have no idea who on earth you might be talking about. But anyway, I, carry I, on. honestly, I'm not targeting a single person. I'm kind of like melding different <laughs> aspects that are out there. I said uniform, so I know uh-huh. who you're thinking, but he's not the only one like there. There's <laughs> oh. if, he, he, the person in question is actually timid among hater fans. Like wh- where I'm at, you know, is, is, you know, there, the Facebook pages, all that, these um, armchair co- uh, co- coaches that, you know, want to, want to, you know, blow everything up. What we, you mean? We, we had to punt the ball, fire everybody, you know um, what? We didn't hit a three pointer, fire everybody, you know? So um, I say all of the above to say the UCF hater fans will have that. Of course we'd win now, but to be honest, with the way things are shaken out and as um, top heavy Houston is compared to rest, rest of the group in ranking, that's actually a, a, a big fat hairy deal. Like it becomes far more realistic for that to happen. That's thank you, Garfield. That, what's that? Thank you, Garfield. I caught that one. <laughs> but um, but the unrealistic part is that win actually taking place. I, I think we can all agree on that part. You know, um, there's certainly not favored. To say the very least. Right. Right. Nor nor were we favored last night, by the way. You know, I, three I think and that's a half or, right. three and a half point underdogs. And I got people coming at me saying, well, we should have been favored. I'm like, what? 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 Based, based on, on what? what? Yeah. Like, based on what? <laughs> based on what? You? This isn't like. I, I can't. I, I've told you this before. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Kyle. But I was ahead, like, this is, this, is what, this is the thing. I've told you this before, Eric. And Kyle, you'll hear me say this. They didn't build all those giant casinos out on the desert on the strength of being wrong all the time. <laughs> okay? Like, like we're just making stuff up now at this point. Making stuff up. Making up standards that make no sense. I don't understand it. Fan is short for fanatic. I agree with Kyle, by the way. It's probably going to be a little bit of both. I actually think they have a shot against Houston. Uh, I do, too. I, I think it should be a really good crowd. Feel free to show up. You all you in the community, you know. Like, I covered the Magic game on Wednesday. There's no reason to be at Amway Center right now at all. So, you should be at the arena. Number two, sources tell Black and Gold Banneret that Brian Murphy might be in attendance. And good things tend to happen to UCF basketball when they, he's in the building. He was there for Michigan, I think. He was definitely there for Memphis. I'm just saying, if they win, give him the credit. And you, Kyle, and Trace need to buy him out drinks if that happens. That's my that, <laughs> I I, uh, I I would not be surprised either. The game uh, against are you Houston, wearing the right socks for the game, Jeff? Are you I, yeah, the- I got. Listen, oh, I did no, my I laundry did. this week. The socks are ready. The Citronaut socks like are ready. Going to bring up his laundry. Uh, you that <laughs> <laughs> it's an eight o'clock tip. ESPN two, right, Eric? That's correct. Mike Corey's calling the game, I believe. Uh, so it should be. I'm very fascinated to see the audience for that game. It's going to go up against. Are they, are they going to call Texas. it? Re- are they Are they going to call it remotely? Or are they going to be here? Do you know? Uh, that I don't. Last few games I, on ESPN, you have been remote. I know that. Uh, they usually ESPN, ESPN two. They're usually in person. So yeah, uh, Kyle, get to the bottom of that. You're in, you're in the building early. <laughs> Find out if the broadcasters are there in person. Well, um, I'll, I'm in the building early too. I'll be able to just you know look across the the. Floor. All right. Well, there you go. We can break. We can have an exclusive um, breaking news there. Right. <laughs> uh, the uh, the other thing too is, uh, and this is what's kind of cool, Kyle. I love this. Um, they're doing a block party. Before the game on East Plaza Drive. Did you hear about this? I had not. Five, five o'clock, all right, on Saturday, they're doing it on East Plaza Drive, which is the, the street that goes past the arena where Burger U is. 
Mm-hmm. They're going to have food. They're going to have drinks, live music from 5 to 7.30, just prior to the game. And then everyone goes into the game. I love that idea. I wish we did it more, to be honest with you. Because like, it feels like there's like, you know, we tried a couple years ago to do the uh, to do the the basketball tailgate thing. Eric, you remember this? I do. Yeah, I mean, and it kind of sort of worked. It's like it like took the. It's just hard to do tailgating and basketball. It's hard to yeah. do in that. I but I like, that. but I like the idea of, you know, a block party. Like I remember when I went to um, when I went to Syracuse the year that I was in grad school, like people would go and there would be a block party right there on Marshall street prior to whatever game that they were playing. And then everyone would walk over to the carrier, don't watch the game. And then everyone would come back to Marshall street and party and hang out and everything. And, you know, I would love for us to do something similar to that. So I, I hope that this, that, that this thing, you know, works out. I think you got to do it on a weekend though. Right. Oh, well, yeah. if they win, they'll do it more often. And, I hope so. And if I they hope don't, so. then they'll probably go back to the drive. All right. So, uh, so it's uh, obviously Houston is the big game, and then uh, South Florida next Thursday. We'll have another podcast before that. So, but that's the home game. Got to win that one, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, uh, you really want to get one of these Houston games in your back pocket. Uh, it's it's a big ask, I know, but yeah, if they can pull it off, this well, is like you said, Eric. This is your best two, shot. Right, right. They're going to drop a conference or two games. They're not going to go undefeated in league play. I don't believe so. You. Might by the way, well by the way, in my six and off. in my six and three outside of Houston, I I put down the at Tulsa games lost because yeah. freaking Tulsa. Man. They did win last year at Tulsa in their defense. Yes, broke broke that streak. So at least we know it's possible. Yeah, Unlike just, Wichita just, State, we don't know that's possible. No, that's yet. never going to happen. <laughs> I mean, that's never like I said. Might happen next year. You know. Well, I'm just saying. All right. Anyway, so so that's the deal. Eight o'clock tip against number seven Houston, who are number three in the net, by the way. Uh, tip off on ESPN two uh, Saturday eight p.m. Block party at five. All right. Let's flip over to the women because um, Kyle, you were there. Uh, boy, this one this one got this one got wonky uh, really early. Tulane went up twenty two nine after one. Lisa Stockton looked like every hand she was being dealt was working. I mean, it was, um, it was, uh, and then all of a sudden UCF just kind of does the thing where the defense kind of clicks on after that first quarter. They've had, correct me if I'm wrong here, either of you. I feel like the first quarter against USF this year was the best first quarter UCF women's basketball has had maybe in like four years because they're always so slow to start in the first quarter and then they figure out what the other teams do. They're like, they're like watching Kyle to use a, a football analogy, like peak Peyton Manning. <laughs> like you, you would you remember how like he would play like Rex and the Rex Ryan in the jets. Right. And Rex would throw all kinds of weird stuff at him. And they played him in that AFC championship game. And, uh, and it was like, all right, it, it, he would spend like the first four or five possessions just figuring out what they were doing and then all of a sudden you were like oh he's got it he figured it out and UCF does the same thing with their defense they just figure you out they figure out the matchups and then they just chip away chip away chip away and even though they were down after three they came back and got the dub what was the key uh, listen it comes down to this I mean the defensive piece you mentioned there um is obviously 
part of the conversation, right? Like this is one of the best scoring teams in the conference, if not the best scoring team in the conference, mm-hmm. right? So that was a big part of it too. Let's give let's give Tulane a bit of credit. They, they yeah, they're a good team. They're a really good team. Fantastic stuff. Um, and they um, uh, Sh- uh, Sh- Shania Mertens was even brought into the starting lineup to try to get some movement in there, get a faster team out there to compete with this group. But at the end of the day, for me, from what I saw, they turned the f- ball over five times alone in the first quarter. Okay, with that, it was just on pure volume of shots that Tulane was winning. Then they hit their biggest run of the night during that second quarter for their biggest lead. And then Masani Kaba got hot and started that push. Usually you hear Diamond Battles and Tay Sanders started to light up. And don't worry, they did plenty in this game. But nine second quarter points by Masani Kaba. Kept it, kept it close, right? You had mentioned uh, 22 to 9, closed it at halftime to, I think it was seven points, 36, 29, something like that. Yep. So um, it's, I think, I don't think you're far off, right? Starting to figure out what was going on. And, and really, um, the way uh, the way Coach A put it was uh, Mosny started hitting shots in the uh, high post. Could be argued you wouldn't gotten that from Kaba this time last year. Right. One of these many things. I, I don't think she would. I, I think she probably could have, but I don't think she would have taken those shots. Right. Think, exactly. This year would, she does. Yeah. I'm glad you said that, too, because I also asked uh, Masani after the game about a certain element of timidity and, and, and tentativeness. I don't want to say timid. That's too strong. But they were passing up shots for passes. And to put it in, in Masani's words, like we figured out that when we, when a player figured out that they were the best shot, they started taking that shot. And that's mm-hmm. when things started to go up and, and about. So, I mean, I say what I say about the top of the post, kind of referencing your conversation with Coach Abe last week about how, you know, every player seems to have added a new skill. And don't worry, I'm not at all salty that y'all didn't invite me to that. I roll. Yeah, clearly not. Like you didn't, like you asked her on the post game about an interview she did on a podcast and didn't even reference us. You just said, "Yeah, you were on a podcast." I would I, honestly, that was about me, me trying to play nice. I didn't know what protocol wow. was, but you know, I, I, listen, I got to hang out. What with do we pay you for? Time. My God, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, I, I dropped plenty of uh, <laughs> B and G article stuff. I yes, uh, I'm aware of that. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> but um. Um, by the way, great way for those for those out there. Great way to market something. False angst. Anyways, yes. um, <laughs> but and then of course I mentioned the nine point quarter by Mosny. Then in this, then thirteen points by Diamond in the second half, who yeah. finished with I think twenty. So you know that's kind of the story about how the offense got it sta- got started and going, and and you know once again if there's going to be a weakness of this of this team it's going to be teams that get hot from the cheap seats mm-hmm. and go to the foul line more often than them okay 15 times Tulane was on the uh foul line the 15th was the first miss of the night and Destiny Thomas snags the board to start the the uh, the, the uh, uh end game towards the win uh for the ladies yeah uh they shot 33% UCF did in the first quarter mm-hmm. and then the rest of the way didn't shoot didn't shoot under 53% in any quarter and shot 60% or better in uh in in, uh, in two of the four quarters which I Let thought me get was your reaction to this stat real quick Jeff I'm going to cut you off right. but like check check the number of shots taken in the first quarter between the two 
Like that's where you'll see a big difference. Uh, well, believe it or not, not as much of a difference. They, they shot 12 times in the first, 13 in the second, 15 in the third, and 13 in the fourth. So no, no, compared compared to Tulane. Oh, compared to Tulane. Okay. Um, Tulane had 16 and 17 in the first two, 13 and 12 in the in the after halftime. There you go. See, so, oh, so yeah. just just that first quarter, they they are they had four extra shots all, all on them already, and UCF was shooting worse. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and they and UCF also shot five of eleven from three point range after halftime too. I think that was uh, that was you, one of the other big keys that that absolutely. helped them get back in the game. So Eric, uh, let's look. Let's zoom out again. Net UCF thirty nine, dropping two spots. Not too bad though. A lot of that. A lot Still of neck and neck with South Florida, who's yeah. at who's at forty though. Very fortunate considering the loss at Cincinnati, who was in the 200, 210, I believe, when they lost to them on Saturday when they got off to another slow start. Dug themselves a hole, kind of let them hang around in the game and Florida and lost. But because they have a great non-conference resume, they weren't hurt as bad as say the men. Remember when the men lost to USF, they dropped 30 yeah, that spots. Was, that was catastrophic. Um, yeah. So big difference there. Where is SMU in there? Because uh, uh, check where's it. SMU. I'm curious because Charlie Cream has three bids from the American with SMU. 87. All right. 87 so they're not going to be in at large. They lost to South Florida on Wednesday night. Uh, there. Uh, so look, they I actually went up a spot, right? Playing USF so, would help yeah. that. Now this is a tricky part of the schedule for UCF because they go to Wichita state on Saturday, come back home for the Monday afternoon and extravaganza against temple, which was a makeup from mm-hmm. a game that was postponed earlier. And Kyle, I was fascinated. You had a fascinating back and forth with coach Abe, which yeah. is why you weren't invited to our podcast interview last week. Cause you get her, you get her all the time by yourself. <laughs> Over there, or every game. But I was fascinated because you asked her about this little schedule court, and I was surprised by her answer. She actually likes the fact they're playing Saturday and Monday because she thinks their team plays better when they don't have a long layoff, like six days, like they did against Cincinnati. Expand on that conversation you had with her. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, and it's also uh, in the uh, the clip uh, in question is also part of it is in the uh, blackandgoldbanneret.com piece I wrote on the uh, uh, on this game as well. Um, but yeah, overall, when I asked her this, I was expecting, well, the challenge is this. I, 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 I set the table for there to be an answer about, you know, how the team is worried about COVID, what they do to respond to that, that sort of thing. Instead, she informs me that the time off that they got because of the cancellation, for example, mm-hmm. um, was something where to, to kind of get them, uh, the players focused, how, how'd she put it? I love them all, but during that week, it was a little tougher to keep their eyes, you know, on the prize, so to speak, you know, um, I'm paraphrasing yeah. that. And, well, and- I, th- I think what's interesting, sorry to cut you off there, Kyle, but I wanted to tell you, all right. So January 11th, they beat Houston by three. Remember that mm-hmm. game, that, that tight game at home. Then they had then they didn't play South Florida until Sunday, so that was five days off. They got the win. Then the SMU game was postponed, and they didn't play Cincinnati until six days later. I think it's a. I, I'm curious if it's a little bit like okay, we're stepping up an opponent, so we need that extra time to prepare. They were quote stepping down to the opponent and going on the road to face Cincinnati, having just beaten South Florida. Maybe you know feeling a little overconfident heading into that game. Maybe I don't know. Carry on. Yeah, which led us to what had happened was no, and I think right. that's exactly the picture that Coach Abe is painting there, right? And and I, I said in particular, you know, so and I wondered, I wondered if that made her preparation easier 
at all. She's like, no, it's it's this is strictly them I'm talking about. She's she the fact that they have the specter of basketball. Because listen, one thing she's always talked about with her players is how much they love playing. And when that uh that that carrot is its own prize, so to speak, right? The game itself is its own prize. So they're they're locked in. And who knows? I mean, it could be a situation where they uh with the Cincinnati um uh loss uh and then the struggle in this game, like it could be a wake up call time kind of thing that she's relying on too. Well, Eric, they're right now 13 and three, five and one. I'll give you the last word on this before you head to break. Um, you know, Wichita Saturday, Temple Monday, Memphis next Saturday. They, then they go, then they go on that double road trip at Houston, at South Florida. Those are two brutal back-to-back games. So, Right, which is and, why they cannot slip up here the next couple yeah. of games like they did against Cincinnati. Because you're right, that at Houston, at South Florida, that's a that's a, a whammy of oh a back to back there. So you're right, they they got to finish strong, get off to better starts in the first quarter. Try, and, and you know, because they're a great fourth quarter team. Try to get off to better starts, and uh, you know, they got good offensive production from Cabo, which was big step. Run it back like they did against South Florida, where they just kind of yep. The first, the, they won that game in the first two minutes. I'm convinced of they 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 played great defense and hit shots, and uh, and that was key. All right, um, Kyle Nash, the student of the game will be uh, will be attending class where the rest of this week. <laughs> I like it. Of course, the plan is to be at the Houston game on Saturday, but. Um, oh, by the way, quick shouts to our friend Aaron Evans um, at halftime at that piece. Um, uh, there was um, there was a, a lot of uh, well, not just at halftime throughout the game. There was an art exper- experience and focus there as yeah, well. There was, I um, saw at halftime there was that guy. I was watching the game on TV. There's that guy who like did that painting like at halftime yeah. and yeah. turned it upside. It was so cool. It was really awesome. I mean, I know he's not Aaron Evans, but anyway, right. But what he what Aaron had there was his uh, latest piece. Uh, which was an Otis Anderson tribute. That's um, right. You know, check it out. It's out there on social media and Twitter. I, you know, I don't remember where his is exactly, but check mine. I retweeted it, whatever. Um, so, you know, shouts to him as a friend of the show as well. Um, but of course, my friends, I'm Kyle Nash, the student of the game. You find me on Twitter at the SOTG and of, uh, on Instagram as the same, the SOTG, my work on the black and gold banneret.com. And of course, on Facebook as the student of the game. Honor, joy, and privilege, gentlemen. But until next time, class dismissed all right schedule also for basketball remember we got two games saturday women at wichita 1 p.m on espn plus men home for number seven houston 8 p.m espn 2 uh and don't forget the uh, block party at five o'clock uh prior to that as well kyle nash thanks for joining us bud appreciate it guys thank you all right eric when we come back let's talk some tennis i know you've been looking forward to it. here you are you stay up all night watching the aussie open for some crazy freaking yeah, reason. just had coffee i was up you're watching out the of your mind Sunnies, i don't man. know why you do that all right anyway we're going to talk about tennis a little bit more a Nothing little bit better closer to home to brian kenyako the ucf women's tennis head coach joins us to talk about his team and their odds for heading to the ncaa's once again as they begin their season be right back in a second it's the black and gold banneret podcast Welcome back to the show, Jeff and Eric with you. It's uh, tennis season. We are starting up the spring sports here at UC. Eric is thrilled. He's The Aussie opens on. I'm having coffee as we're talking. five in the morning yep. for some reason. I don't know. It's the best um, sport in the world, baby. Let's go. It's, uh, but uh, UCF women's tennis, we're starting out with a preview of them. Brian Kanyeko. And this has been, yeah, hey, listen, 
this group has really, and this program in particular, has been vaulting up the scales at an exponential rate. Um, we talk about the NCAA appearances. You know, they made it to the Sweet 16 in the past. They're starting out. They're in the top 10 right now. And they are hosting ITA kickoff weekend at the USCA National Campus. Always a big event in college tennis, which is great. And they're, and they're taking on UC Santa Barbara, who's, who's a traditionally pretty good team. Uh, they got Auburn or Arizona State on Saturday. And then next Wednesday or next Friday, they go to, they go on the road to Virginia. But uh, this, is, this, is, this is a team we got to keep a very close eye on, Eric Lopez, because they're, they're a national threat, a bona fide national threat now. Yeah, and that's something that Coach Kanyenko, since his arrival here, hired by the director of tennis, John Roddick, they've taken this program to new heights, which included hosting for the first time as a national seed last year in the NCAA tournament, making the Sweet 16 for the second consecutive time in the NCAA tournament. They bring back a veteran team, and that's some of the topics that myself and Bryson Turner spoke to Coach Kanyenko recently about this year's team and the expectations and the growth of tennis. Here now. Brian Kanyeko on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Just now, the head coach of the number 11 ranked UCF women's tennis program. He is, of course, back-to-back American Conference Championships champions and, of course, back-to-back Sweet 16 appearances. Coach uh, Brian Kanyeko joining us here on the show. Back again with us. Coach, how you doing? Good. Good to see you guys again. Thanks for having me. What is this fall, and now as you get set for the start of the season here in January, what has it been like? You've been playing, you know, you lose three players, especially Rebecca Stomar, who was like a certainly one of your leaders in the team, one of the greats in the program history, but you got a lot of talent coming back. How has it gone so far? Yeah, obviously it was good to have a – good to have a, a fall season where we got to play a lot of matches um yeah like you said we had uh, Rebecca Stolmar and Senya Kuznetsova and Sarah Culbertson uh who we lost last year um you know Senya and and uh Rebecca were big roles for us uh, last season in the lineup um so uh we're excited to to have two new freshmen join us this January uh Noel Sedanova from Russia and Sofia Biolet from France um, they were both supposed to be here in fall semester, um, but because of COVID and it took forever to get these visa appointments and they finally were able, they were supposed to come in the fall. They finally were able to come here in January. So now we got our full squad. It's been good to put in two weeks of hard work and uh, hopefully we're prepared for tomorrow. When, when you reflected back on last year, what comes to your mind? It was uh, an, another incredible year. Really, it was an amazing year. I felt that casual fans started, you know, really following your program and the men's program. It was pretty wild to see both of you, you know, rank, both get to host for the first time in program's history to play at that beautiful USDA center, winning the conference championship again, making the sweet 16. What comes to your mind when you reflect on all that? Yeah, there was so many, you know, our players continue to kind of have a milestone moments in our program every year. And, and last year was another one, you know, to be able to, to host um, the first two rounds of the NCAA the first times and to do that with the men's team together. Uh, we've been kind of, you know, both teams have been pushing each other to, to kind of get to these points. We've, it seems like we've been getting to the same stages together. Uh, so that, that was exciting, obviously to, to win the conference uh, tournament after not being able to play it due to COVID. You know, I think our players were excited to try to defend our title and, and were able to do it in a tough fashion against Tulsa in the finals. And then 
to be able to advance to the Sweet 16 and to do it in the year that we were actually hosting the final site of the NCAA tournament, that was added pressure for our team to knowing that the second round, they have to win it to play at home. Everyone wants to play at home so badly in front of our home crowd and to see them overcome that pressure and to, to beat a great Miami team at home. And then, um, of course, that match against Duke was super memorable. Obviously, it came down to the final set. We lost 4-3 against a great team. Um, you know, as a coach, obviously, you, you wonder what I could have done better to, to get us through that. But it was such a fun atmosphere. Our fans made it amazing. We had a cool tailgate before that match. So a lot of memorable things to, to, to take away from last year. It was, and I remember, I mean, so many fans were following the Duke match. So many people were watching, following the American Conference Championship. I remember, you know, weather and things like that kind of changed. People were mad because it was supposed to be an ESPN Plus, got moved and everything. But did you get a sense of that, that there was more eyeballs, that people that don't normally watch tennis, our sport, following your programs here? I mean, that, both your programs. That, that, to me, I felt like this was... This was a, last year was a year that maybe it was a kind of a transcending year where more eyeballs. Now people are looking at your programs and you're ranked and there's going to be more eyeballs following you. There's more coverage of your program. Yeah, obviously that's a huge goal of ours and we're super appreciative of the, there's obviously the USTA, there's a huge tennis community in Orlando, not only UCF itself, but we just have a great tennis fan base. And um, it's been nice to stack a couple good years on top of good years to kind of show that we're, we're not trying to be a, a one hit wonder. We're trying to be one of the elite programs in the country uh, over a long period of time. And, um, you know, we've been trying to recruit that way. Our players have been trying to prepare that way um, to, you know, we understand that last year was last year and this year it, we have a whole new team, a whole new identity and a new challenges in front of us that we're going to have to face. Um, and you know what we did in the past, but obviously that's our goal is to, to, get more and more people excited um, trying to make our events a better experience for our players and our fans. And, uh, you know, obviously everyone likes to their home team to win. So that's what we're trying to do. You know, we talked about the USTA national campus and looking at your schedule, you, a lot of your home matches in that beautiful tennis facility are taking place over that rough about roughly a month between February 25th and March 27th. Can you talk about the, the schedule and how you kind of organize a lot of your home events into that one month span and the motivation behind doing that? Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, so it, in our conference currently in the American Athletic Conference, um, we don't have a mandatory schedule. So we schedule a few teams in our conference, and then that leaves me a lot of uh, room to schedule to try to give our team the best chance to play the best um, teams in the country. So it's a lot of work on our end, uh, to schedule a lot of matches, um, because uh, other coaches are busy and have their conference schedules, but we try to around their spring breaks. That's why you'll kind of see it towards the end of February and March teams will come here on their spring breaks to try to get some outdoor tennis in. So we'll get to play them, but yeah, I mean, we have the, the defending national championships, uh, national champions in Texas here at home amongst a lot of, a lot of top probably 15, 20 programs that will be in this country. But, um, you know, we obviously to have a great ranking, you have to play the best teams and, and try to come up with some W's and our team I, deserves to play against the best. So we're not going to try to shy away um, from some tough teams and pad our schedule and we'll try to face them all. And hopefully even through some wins and losses that uh, hopefully helps us grow as we go towards the NCAA tournament. 
Yeah, you talk about facing the, the facing the defending national champions in Texas. You're also going to be going to have to go on the road a little later this month to take on number seven ranked ranked Virginia. Can you just talk, uh, talk about uh, talk about uh, elaborate on the going scheduling these ranked teams? Yeah. Um, again, like you know, we've uh, you know we have a lot of good relationships with these coaches, and we try to do home and aways. Virginia is a great opportunity for us to, to, uh, maybe play an indoor match, something that will not be, um, up our alley necessarily, but, um, I think it's, you know, hopefully trying to prepare to get into national indoors for the first time in program history. That would be a good chance for us to play a great team in a tough environment indoors. Um, and again, you know, it's, it's, uh, not putting our team in a, in an easy position to, to, to get a win against that team, but I think in a great position to grow and, um, you know, that's, that's, you know, kind of how we're trying to do it here and, and try to play the best team. So each opportunity is a chance to grow and get better. And hopefully we're playing our best tennis by the time April and May comes. How much has your facilities helped you in scheduling, drawing the marquee teams to come to your place? Because it's no secret, your that facility is among the best, if not the best in the sport in tennis. I mean, I've, I've wondered you know, how much longer before maybe we see a, a pro event being hosted there? We've seen, obviously, the team tennis events being hosted there, but perhaps an ATP tour, 250 event or WTA events there. I mean, that's got to help you, too, from a scheduling standpoint, drawing teams. Yeah, 100%. You're right about that. I mean, you know, the fact that, you know, it also being in the state of Florida and, and California draws the same, right? A lot of teams want to go there for spring breaks. It's a great place to go. Uh, but on top of it, our facility, the USTA does a good job of of uh, making teams feel comfortable. They do a couple of these college match days that draw great crowds. Um, so, yeah, that, that's a huge help. And, you know, they do have some smaller level WTA and ATP tournaments now, some 15, 25, and 60 Ks. And uh, yeah, I, I do think down the road, there's been conversations of hopefully having some WTAs and ATPs, but you know, it's, you know, it, it's unique because you don't, you don't only have the university fans, but you have a lot of people who just love tennis in general, who come here and practice every day and they can just walk over and see not only us, but different teams. I think it's uh, really unique too. You talked a little bit earlier about the about the three players you lost: Kuznetsov, Stolmar, and Col- and Culbertson. Two of those players were were part of two of two of the du- doubles pairs that have the most wins as in a, over a career in program history. So you you still obviously had uh, Zaleva and and Mattel. So how did you go about finding new doubles part doubles partners for them and considering both of them are now ranked how would you say that th- their evolution went as they learned to work together? Yeah, I mean, you know, you we, we, like you said Stolmar and Kuznetsova were great doubles not not only great singles players but they were great doubles players on the court. Um they were rock solid. I mean, they were my, my first two recruits, both of them. So it's kind of sad to see them go. It's crazy that it's already been like that. Um, but, um, you know, it, it threw a little wrench in it, honestly, to, we had the two new players, um, you know, Sophia and Noel, who were, we were hoping were going to come in the fall, which would give us an extra, an extra couple of months to find out double doubles pairings and stuff like that. But they came in January and, you know, we just have to, as coaches, we tried to, we have to teach it a little bit faster. We got to try to see who gels a little bit more. And I'm sure, 
I'm sure we're not, we're going to keep tweaking and keep trying to find our uh, best chance to get two out of three doubles points, you know, to put our team in a good position to win. And um, But we try to coach them in a similar way. That way everyone can play with everyone and it's interchange- interchangeable. Obviously injuries, COVID, um, who knows what you're going to have. And we have to be prepared for any sort of different pairings that we might have. Um, I think it's been a strong suit of ours in the past, our doubles, and uh, trying to keep everyone on the same page. So we don't only have to rely on chemistry. Um, so we're all on the same page and we can, um, you know, we can substitute some players in and out. So, um, but we'll see, it's going to definitely be some different challenges. Rebecca and, and Senya brought great experience to our team. And um, now we're just going to have to teach some new players on and try to get our experience up as fast as we can. About how how Marie Mattel has really developed over the offseason to get into the, the uh, in, into the top one twenty five singles rankings, as well as Anique Kattenberg and her development as well. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Marie is, um, you know, Marie last year was was uh, in and out a little bit of our singles lineup. Um, I think she's someone that when she's playing well, she is as good as anyone in the country. I mean, she's had a top 20 win in the, in the, in the fall, um, beating Georgia's number two player. Um, I think she's made a a big jump level wise from last year. I think I've seen a a different level of focus, uh, and intensity in, in what she brings every day. Uh, she brings great doubles. She's already a doubles all American with Stolmar. So she brings us that experience that hopefully we can pair up with somebody for her to be successful this year. Um, but yeah, I mean, Marie's going to be a key piece to our to our team this year. Um, I think she learned a lot from last year of things that she can do better and things to prepare herself. So I'm excited for that. And uh, you know, Anique, we're we're excited for for her development. You know, she's a she's a hometown girl as well, local from here. And um, you know, I think she has a, a live arm. There's not many, in my opinion, a lot of uh, players like her who have the who have the explosiveness on her serve and forehand like she does. I mean, if you saw her, she's got a really live arm. It's kind of our jobs as coaches to kind of harness that a little bit and understand where she, when she should go big and when she can play a little bit more high percentage tennis. So she's still learning that. Um, I think she still has uh, gears to go in it just, you know, her work ethic and just keep, keep doing good days on top of good days. She's had a little bit of uh, bad luck with a foot recently. That's put her out for a couple of weeks unfortunately, in the beginning of this January. But I think she'll be back soon, and, and hopefully um, I think she should have a bright career as well. We, you know, we, we obviously, you know, we at the Banner, we cover a lot, of, a lot of sports from football, basketball, all the UCF sports. But tennis is one of those sports, unlike something like a football or a baseball, where there's a, a much smaller roster size. You have 10 players. Can you just kind of talk about how that dynamic is with, with, a, with, a, with a roster that is a, a little on the smaller side than other sports? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's... Um, it's nice for us because it allows us to, to, it allows us to point out a lot of details in development. You know, we have two coaches, sometimes you have a volunteer coach. So it allows us to kind of really hone in on people specifically and exactly what they need to develop. Um, you know, but obviously there's not, not too many spots to play. We have 10 players, we got six single spots. So it makes it really competitive for our team, which I think, um, which I think uh, gets them better in practice because they know they have to bring a great day every day to improve and if they want to play. But at the same time, there's injuries. You know, COVID is a thing now is there's a lot of different things that 
you know, our, our seven, eight, nine players need to be ready at, at any moment when their number is called, you know, last year, or I'm sorry, the, the COVID year, you know, we had Sarah Colbertson, who was our, you know, was probably eight or nine on our roster and we had a few injuries and she stepped in and, and beat Texas A&M at number six and, uh, and beat Florida state at number six, who was a top 10 team. And, and she was, you know, she was able to stay ready and fill her role. So uh, I think at any moment, um, you never know what players can click, how they can all of a sudden improve. You see it all the time for the ones that are really dialed in and, and tennis is important to them or improving in their sport is important to them. It happens quickly. Um, so, yeah, you know, we have a small team, but, you know, uh, it's a, it, tennis is a really unique sport because we play so many matches and, and, and not too much recovery time. So, you know, things players get dinged up in this and that. So we have to just uh, be ready. And, and all of our players need to understand that at any moment there, they could be their chance to, to, to contribute to that team that day. Ryan is about to start is about to start soon. ITA kickoff weekend is is coming is slowly coming along. You see Santa Barbara, Auburn or Arizona, Arizona State. Can you just talk about you know obviously because the the team has been on a on the on a break since November with the UNFN like so can you talk about what you want to see from your team at, as the dual match season gets itself started? Yeah, you know we had a meeting about that today, and I think uh, you know we we want to be known as as a high energy team. We want to be known that if anyone is playing the Knights, that it's going to be a war that day. Um, I think we want to be the team that uh, we we don't have any any holes in our, in our lineup. And no matter who plays us, they know that they're going to have to play a long match, a physical match to go through the, through UCF. Um, that's our goal, right? I mean, sometimes we're going to win, sometimes we're going to lose. Um, but our goal is to go in there as a unit and to fight for every single point, um, that we can. And, uh, we've been fortunate enough to have to do that. We've had a lot of players who have a lot of pride to play for UCF and put on their jerseys to play for us. And uh, we hope to continue that trend. Um, I've enjoyed to see our team get closer over these last couple of weeks when they've come here in January. And I really think they're excited to, to fight for each other. And if we can get that, we'll be able to hopefully overachieve again. A couple last things, obviously big news in college athletics, UCF will eventually be going to the big 12 for, uh, for pretty much their sports. What was your reaction to that? And how does that affect tennis as a whole uh, not just for UCF, but just tennis as a whole with all this movement going on. Um, yeah, I mean, I got to get my sky miles in order, I guess. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's going to be more travel, uh, but it's going to be it's going to be interesting. I think it's going to even put us even in more unique situations and and playing, you know, playing BYU in altitude, playing Texas Tech in altitude. You know, those are some things that sometimes you don't think of, but playing tennis in altitude is a whole different ball game. And uh, it's going to teach us to be in uh, difficult situations um, that could help us down the road. Uh, obviously, it's going to help us build in a little bit of a better schedule. But on top of the Big 12, we still are, are going to try to play uh, the best teams from all other conferences and, and uh, not shy away from having a, an easier out-of-conference schedule. We're going to do the same thing. We're going to play a lot of great opponents. Um, but obviously now we get a built in uh, a little bit tougher schedule. So, um, you know, hopefully it, I don't think it's going to change too much for us. I think we're, you know, our schedule is as probably as tough as anyone anyways. Um, and so I don't think it's going to change too much, but it will be exciting to be on that stage and try to uh, try to fight for uh, rings in that conference. 
And it helps, too, because you and bo- you both and John have scheduled a lot of Big 12 teams. It's a strong league with tennis, strong tennis programs. They're still going to be there. Does that help, too, the fact that you're, you've played them? It's not like this is a foreign thing. Obviously, BYU is unique in that situation. But you've played a lot of the Big 12 programs or, uh, during your con- non-conference slates. Yeah, exactly. We, we have. We've, uh, you know, in the typically the Big 12 didn't have as many teams as like the SEC or ACC, for example. So they did look to, to play some other conferences like ours. So we got to play them. But there's a couple of great teams in that conference who we haven't played like Kansas or Kansas State and, you know, West Virginia. We haven't scheduled those. So we're excited to throw them on our schedule and kind of do a home and away with them and see some different teams for sure. Um, but yeah, we're, we're excited. I mean, we're going to, we like you said, we've played Oklahoma, Oklahoma state Baylor. We've had a lot of these great teams already home and aways, but, um, you know, it'd be nice to, to continue that with them. And, right. And you've done those travels. So you're kind of familiar with what the travel might look like, uh, from that standpoint. So that's probably going to help you a lot in the, but in, in the, in the future, but in the meantime, obviously you're getting set for the season. You got UC Santa Barbara on January 28th. You got the ITA kickoff weekend at home and, you know, I, I, you and I have talked. We're both big. You know, I'm a tennis junkie, as you know by now. Uh, Bryson is planning on going to a lot of your home matches. But talk to the audience that haven't been to the facilities yet. What they could expect to see in that experience, that atmosphere that I've seen uh, that Bryson's going to attend and cover some of those. But for fans that haven't been there, tell them about that. What's it like to be go to the facility and why they need to make that a, a priority to go there at some point? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're, we're trying to. You know, we've we've been. Uh, meeting a lot with marketing and trying to f- figure out different ways to make it exciting. You know, we don't want, we don't want to, we don't want tennis to be the old, the old school tennis. Everyone wears white, got to be quiet in between points, right? We, we want it. We want a basketball atmosphere. Um, you know, we want a baseball atmosphere out there. So we're, we're going to try to get a little creative on the PA and, and get the, get the crowd engaged a little bit. Um, try to help the crowd understand, you know, deuce points in tennis is a big thing. Um, winning stats in tennis is a big thing. Um, so, you know, we want our, our fans to be there and, and feel like they can scream and yell as loud as they want and, and make it tough for our opponents. You know, we're going to have some different, uh, I think some different matches. We'll have some giveaways, some pizza days, um, couple, hopefully a couple tailgates like what we did against uh, our Duke match um, in the NCAA tournament. So we definitely want to see a lot of, uh, a lot of people come and support and, and hopefully we can keep uh, the program going in this direction. All right. Well, I think you got Bryson hooked there. I think he he's he's been tight. He's been writing there, and yeah. uh, I can tell you, I'm excited for it and looking forward to the season get going again. Coach, always a, pr- a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for taking the time. I know it's a busy time, uh, but you always take the time to talk to us. And uh, good luck this year. And we'll definitely talk to you uh, during the season. Yeah, I appreciate what you guys do. I know you guys know uh, have a lot of things to do with a lot of sports, so I I appreciate the attention to detail with ours. And thanks again to Coach Konyeko for joining us here on the Black and Gold Better Red Podcast. Thanks to Callie, our SID over there, UCF, we're with tennis. And uh, Jeff, it's pretty awesome to see this tennis program now at the heights that it is with the high expectations. You know, Brian, I don't know if he still doesn't get enough credit, I think, for the job he's done. Well, I mean, it, you know, the, the history speaks for itself, at least at this point. Like, and it's kind of like they're so they fly so far under the radar. It's kind of it's kind of remarkable at this point. But, you know, right off the bat, like you guys talk about, you know, they get that win over Penn. Four to three, number eleven team in the country, and here they are in the top ten. They face Santa Barbara. They got some other top twenty fives and some big names on the schedule too, which I think is going to be really exciting to see how they hold up against you know LSU, Miami, 
FIU, Michigan Tech. A lot of them coming here, uh, uh, coming at home. You know, Oklahoma, Baylor, Michigan, Texas, BYU, Yale, Harvard, FAU. So, you know, th- their expectations should be high. But you know, it's it's one thing when we talk about expectations. It's another thing, you know, when the expectations are within that locker room, right? You know, when they when they've faced quality teams and gotten better over the course of a season and over the course of the last few seasons, really, like. You know, we might look at it and be like, oh, man, this is a rough schedule. They're, you know, But they look at it and they're like, yeah, we played Oklahoma State before. We know what to expect from them. We played Texas. We played Michigan. Right, right. We know what and we're doing. No, absolutely. And you've heard Brian say it, too, towards the end of the interview. They're used to playing those Big 12 schools who they're going to yeah. get to play on an annual basis here in a couple of years. Yeah, yeah, that's going to happen real quick. So, Bryson, as we look ahead to uh, the upcoming uh, weekend at the ITA kickoff weekend, Friday against UC Santa Barbara, and then Saturday against Auburn and Arizona State. Who for you are the players that you know you're gonna that you're gonna keep a close eye on here? Not just you know playing well, but you know in this coming weekend, but also as the season progresses. Who are the big names we're gonna hear about? Well, first of all, one of the big things that stood that stood out to me from Kenyeko's interview is that he talked about how he wanted this team to be a very high energy team and also a very deep team. He talked about how Culbertson in the covert year, he was like an eight or she was like an eight or nine player, and she had to step up in or a step up and she ended up beating teams that were like in the top 10 ranked in the country. So as, as this team definitely needs to be deep on all fronts. But as far as individual individuals go, I am very interested to see the development of Sophia Biole and Noel Saidanova. You, uh, Kenyeko talked about in the interview how uh, visa appointment issues due to COVID, the COVID-19 pandemic delayed their arrival until this month. So even Kenyeko hasn't really gotten, gotten that long of a chance to see both of them yet. And they, they made their UCF debuts in doubles. Noel Saidanova paired with Marie Mattel and was beating Penn's ranked double pair, uh, d- doubles pair, uh, Brigasova and Kernick, five to one, even though the match went unfinished. And Biole teamed up with Sharma to shut out Gabriella Smith and Sage Roshkov, 6 0. And they performed fairly well in singles, too, for being freshmen. So I, I'm very interested to see. So I'm going to be very interested to see their development over the over the course of the season. All right. So we've got, you know, again, that and then February 4th at Virginia before they come back. And they and they do have that great stretch, too, Eric, where um, they have the, uh, the, you know, starting February 25th, at the end of February, they go from February 25th through March 27th. All of their matches are at home against some big opponents. Yeah, so and Brian went into What an advantage. What yeah, an he, advantage. It goes back to that facility, and Brian went into detail in that interview behind the process of that scheduling. But uh, some great tennis out there. Hey, you got to go, Jeff. He mentioned it. You know, Bryson's going. You got to go. I know. I know. I want to bring – my, my son, Connor, is really big into tennis. He's taken some tennis courses – some some tennis classes up here, and – I keep telling him I want to bring him in there. So, you know, the weather's a little wonky right now, but that's a good stretch with, to bring him down. There. I'd love to see him, see, see us play uh play Texas maybe on that Sunday or you know, March the 5th against Michigan. That would be that'll be a fun one to t- take him to and, and and see that facility. I think everyone should. You know, we've been saying it for years. We got to do it. But uh, I was talking about that Texas match too. I'm a, a Texas match too. Let's hook up at that hopefully. Yeah. So, all right. Let's take a break. When we come back, Bryce is going to stick around with us. We have got lots to talk about. An NFL, UCF NFL alum making history over the weekend. You know what we're going to talk about there. And some American Athletic Conference news also to talk about when we return. It's the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Don't go away. 
Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you, along with Bryson Turner. Let's wrap things up here. We've got a bunch of little things that we wanted to wrap up here before we uh, say goodbye for the week. But um, first thing is we got some uh, conference realignment news. Eric and Bryson. Uh, Matt Merchell, uh the Orlando Sentinel, talked to Mike Oresco, and Mike says that uh, he would like to have a uh, – arrangement, settlement, whatever you want to call it, with Houston, UCF, and Cincinnati for them to leave by the, quote, by the spring. Sometime this spring, end quote. I don't know what that means. Cause well, have an agreement in place. We're in like the, the spring right now. Having now, a, well, yeah. they didn't say, now, he did not say when, so we're still in that, we're still in the by July 1st, 2024 thing, although it's quite clear, as Michelle said in the article, that everyone wants to leave in 2023, but... But uh, what did we learn from this, Eric? Anything? No, it means that college football media people have nothing else to talk about. So let's just kind of, you know, talk about stuff. No news. Um, Yeah, they're going to reach a deal at some point this spring, summer. Uh, I think it's going to be amicable. I don't see I don't sense any negativity there. And I think it's in both parties' best interest. The American has a bunch of teams coming in themselves coming in. So I they want to get those six new members in as soon as possible, too. Correct. So. I think there's motivation to make a deal on both sides. And I still believe that by the end, at the end of the day, everybody's going to be where they want to be in 2023. I think the looming question will be, does Oklahoma and Texas reach a deal with the big 12 this spring or summer? I think they will. I know a lot of college football media that supposedly think they know everything doesn't is skeptical, but that tells me that they will make a deal. Cause I'm just going to go opposite of whatever the college football media thinks is going to happen. <laughs> I will say this, Eric, uh, like, well, I mean, I know it's obviously one of those things where it's not really no new news, but I'm really glad that we get that we got some word on it because we, you know, we haven't really heard much about this in the, in the past months. And so to get an update on this is, is, is nice to have, especially since, you know, there's other housekeeping items that you, that UCF athletics is going to need to attend to after, after this, these um, AAC negotiations are complete, such as finding out what conference men's soccer is going to play in because big 12, the big hey, that's going to be the biggest holding pattern and, right there. In the and yeah. there's still no naming rights deal in place for the bounce house yet, yeah, which I have well, to imagine. That has, the, well, that has nothing to do. That has nothing to do with the American um, at all. So we'll see what happens. Spring, I'm sure they're going to have a meeting in the spring and they'll make some decisions. Let's move forward. Yeah. What do we got right. more relevant news? Well, we've got, uh, how, how about uh, Gabriel Davis, who go. has become, I, I, I think we can say it now, Eric, he is a bona fide star. Yeah, I, I would not I, say I, that. I would not I, say, I disagree it, well, with that. It, it, well, you got to remember, well, Stephon Diggs is still He is immortal team. now. He is in UCF a, land, in UCF land. He, However, well, in the NFL too, because he no, set an NFL playoff record. No one in the history of the NFL has has caught four touchdowns in a playoff game prior to Gabriel Davis's effort in a in a loss in, in an amazing game against the incredible against game, the, yes, incredible performance. However, as Andrew Glukoff posted on BlackandGoBenneret.com, and I agree with him. Unfortunately for Gabe, because Buffalo lost, this is going to be a footnote in his career. In fact, I here's a clip that we're going to play from the Sports Illustrated Media podcast. Jimmy Traina and Jim Nance is the guest. Jim Nance called the Chiefs Bills game and here was their interaction about that Gabe Davis performance and how, why Jimmy Traina 
feels bad for Gabe. Who I feel the most, who I felt the most bad for when that game ended, the one single person. On the Bills? Yeah. Hmm. See, you don't, you're, you don't even, you did the game and you, Gabriel Davis would have launched into NFL stardom <laughs> if the Bills win that. He had no, I mean, and I'm telling you, not one person talked about his performance afterwards because of what happened. Four touchdowns, 200 yards. The Chiefs couldn't cover him at all. I don't know where Stephon Diggs was for the game, but that what that if the Bills win, that goes down as like a top uh, three. Greatest no one's before. ever done it. No one's ever done it. First off, they had two guys on Diggs, and of course, they didn't have Tyron Matthew back there, so that left right, right, Davis right. alone in the middle of the field, and he repeatedly beat them. So when I when he scored the fourth touchdown, Ethan Cooperson, who's been my stats guy for for uh, several decades in football, he's brilliant, and he says four touchdowns, NFL record, postseason record. I took the headset off, <laughs> and I said, I just want to make sure before I say this, you mean to tell me no one. Not even Jerry, Jerry Rice, Rice ever had a four touchdown game. He said, "No one." So that's I. I actually, when I dropped that nugget on there, I mentioned yeah. Rice just and to try did. to give it context. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're talking Jerry Rice ever this, and here's a guy that is the second or third option, not the second, third or fourth option at at Buffalo. I mean, he was brilliant. He really was. That's and and not just and yeah, the four touchdowns are sexy, but 200 yards. Yeah, in a playoff game. Un- I, you know, I felt that he would have been the only thing people would have been talking about after that game if, if they would have won. So that was, again, Jim Nance. Great story, behind-the-scenes story there he, on the booth, talking about Gabe Davis, really? Fourth touchdown with Jimmy Traina. But I agree with Jimmy Traina, and I agree with Andrew Glukoff. Unfortunately, as you know, the team that loses is forgotten. And I think this Gabe Davis performance is going to be a footnote, and no one ba- benefited more then another UCF alum, Mike Hughes, who had a rough game in there, cool. but he's still alive. He is still yeah, Mike, playing. Mike had, Mike had a rough day. On, on one of Gabe's touchdowns, he got tripped by his own man that left yeah. Gabe wide open over the minute. And then, uh, then Gabe's third touchdown, which which everyone thought, you know, could have won the game for Buffalo, and then the fourth yeah. one, obviously. But, uh, but Gabe absolutely put him on skates. Unbelievable. That was, that was UCF on UCF crown. I will say this. Uh... Here are some of the names who uh, who's who were tied for the record that Gabe broke. Ready for this? Travis Kelsey, Randall Cobb, Ron Gronkowski, Sidney Rice, Larry Fitzgerald, Monty Toomer, Willie Jackson. Jerry Rice did it three times, catching three touchdowns in a playoff game. Two of them were in Super Bowls. Uh, Sterling Sharp, Andre Reid. Um, Dave Casper, Preston, Preston Pearson, Fred Boletnikoff, Gary Collins, Tom Fears. Um, those are some serious names in the history of the league that Gabe Davis is now. And I know you say it's a footnote, but you know something? Until someone else catches four touchdowns in a playoff game, there's just Gabriel Davis at the top of that list. But he needs, but for him personally, he's got to carry this momentum into next season. Remember, a year ago well, at this time, a year ago at this time, we were, everybody was on the Gabe Davis bandwagon. And he never, he did not have a good year. He actually took a step back compared to last year. So you hope that this is the beginning of a run for him and establishing himself in his third season. He's a better route runner. You hope that Buffalo maybe cuts bait with some of the receivers they have in their roster, like Emmanuel Sanders, who looked like his corpse in the playoffs. And Cole Beasley, who's become absolutely useless. Yeah, more of a possession guy. So you hope that Gabe has a bigger role next year in year three. And that at that point, 
now his performance rises. But if he doesn't, if he continues to be a number three, number four receiver, it will be a footnote. It'll be like, really? That was well, the receiver? Been- He'll get him well, a cameo been- maybe on a 30 for 30. Well, especially if he's a number, the number two receiver to Stephon Diggs, and you also have a tight end like Dawson Knox on the yeah. on the field with him. Having them to draw away defenders should be hopefully open up Gabe as well, which I think is going to be key for him to succeed in into next season. I also wanted to mention this because I because I found this very interesting is that Gabe Davis has five total touchdowns in the uh, in the postseason in the over the course of two games. Only other receivers that have come close to that mark, uh, the, to such marks, Jerry Rice in 1998 had six touchdowns in three games, and Larry Fitzgerald had seven touchdowns in four games. Gabe Davis had five in two. Right. Now, I, I, I did want to bring up a point about Gabe, and you talk about him regressing this year. Well, he didn't really regress. Now, here's, here's, here's what he did. He played all 16 games in two seasons so far. Rookie year, 62 targets. 35 catches, 599 yards, seven touchdowns. This year, 16 games, but he started seven fewer. In his rookie season, he started 11. This year, he started four. Right. Okay? 63 targets, so one more target. 35 catches, same exact number. 549 yards, 50 yards less. Six touchdowns, one less than his rookie year. So not that far off no but he's more of a boom he's been a boom bust receiver either he has a monster game or he's not a factor where can he find that consistent well aren't all receivers in a way no <laughs> not cooper except cup. for except for cooper cup or tyreek hill yeah those guys you know i, that, you know, I mean you look at yeah right. i mean you could say that about stefan diggs who's right alongside him on the right you know uh, stefan diggs, diggs had a share of that you know it's it's all about it's all about the matchups and and you know i mean if someone decides to take you out of the game you're going to be out of the game well, the best news for Gabe is he's got a quarterback that's on the rise in Josh Allen. We That was the beginning. That's the new Manning versus Brady rivalry there. That's Mahomes and Allen. They're going to be battling for years, and I think Gabe will hopefully be a part of that. Hey, don't forget Joe don't, Burrow in there. Don't you too. write off Joe Burrow. Oh, I was just going to yeah. say, don't ah, you whatever. write off Joe Burrow. Mike hey, Hughes, go get him, Mike. acknowledged it. He acknowledged the Joey Connors hit. He acknowledged, he acknowledged yeah. that UCF. Go get him, Mike Hughes. Go get him. We, hey, listen, all I know is that when Joey Connors knocked some sense into Joe Burrow and then Nate Evans told him about it, and look what those two guys did. <laughs> look yep. what those two there guys have subjected to. You know. All right, uh, <clears throat> a little track and field news, Bryson. We have an athlete of the week, don't we? Oh, yes, we do. And we all know, and of course, we all know her. Y'all love her. It is Renaya Jones. I swear. I honestly feel like I can't sing this, this woman's praises enough, but she absolutely killed it at the Hokie, Invita- Hokie Invitational. Um, I, once you read my nightcap, which will be on blackandgoldbanner.com, she is our night of the week. She ran in the 60-meter hurdles and the two and the 200 meters. She won the 200 the 200 meters getting herself a new personal best if i am not mistaken in the event yes she did she also tied her personal best oh no she matched her personal best in 200 meter dash and then she ran a new personal best in the 60 meter hurdles where she was a hundredth of a second away from taking first place from olympian gabrielle cunningham yeah that was that was tight now UCF's uh, track and field team right now, they're 36 in the country, second in the South region. But I, I don't think that's the interesting thing. What I thought was good, good news, and this has to do with Renaya Jones as well. You see she's in a new ad for Addition Financial? Yes, I saw that. So, that was really right. cool. 
Now, Addition Financial is is a is the chief um, financial sponsor of UCF Athletics. But this is where, Eric. This is where like NIL is a good thing. Like Renaya Jones is a track and field. She's not a football star. Okay, she's not a basketball star. Female athlete, track and field, non-marquee sport. Unfortunately, let's face it. Right, but. She lends her name, image, and likeness to a local business, and 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 that's the, and I think that's a good thing. You know, I agree. I agree. If, she, Olympic, was, if she was an Olympian, yes, not attached to a college, it would be fine. But you know, now she can do that as a college athlete. This is this is where NIL, I think, is good. I spoke to the UCLA head coach in softball, Kelly Inouye Perez, who told me the word to describe this NIL for the Olympic sports athletes and softball players opportunity yep opportunity that's perfectly way that's the name of the game yeah opportunity oh yeah jones certainly is taking taking advantage of uh, taking advantage of that she's she now has the eighth fastest 60 meter hurdle time in the nation after the after the hokey invitation they they got an early on on her because like she's i mean we're thinking olympic hopeful for 2024 assuming all goes well right i mean you never know what's going to happen down the road but you know that that I'm feeling is is going to be the um, that that's going to be that that's that's what I think is you know start buying your Renaya Jones stock right now. Oh, I started buying stock I on know, her way have, back. Have to buy it from it from Bryson Turner because he he he's cornered the market. But uh, but, but that, yeah, that's so. not even that. But she's not even the only big thing that happened with track with track and field this season. Brittany Floyd broke the school pentathlon record that has stood since 2008. Holly Castles broke the freshman record. Latasha Smith got the win, got the win in the three in the 300 meters. Sierra Holback got the win in the 60 meter dash. Uh, and and then Charlotte Crook got the win. All right. Hey, listen, wins are good. That, listen, no, the first meet against some good competition for Virginia yes. Tech. This is good. This is big. Like I, I like Bryson's right, though, that this is we might be looking at a a serious contender for the conference championship right now. If oh, there's no up. doubt about that. It's a young roster with a lot of upside. There's no question, but uh, it's, mean, a early, it's a little early. It's a little early. I mean, these early. rankings, these, these rankings are as high as we've seen them with the indoors since 2013. And, and they're just question. starting. Cause you know that right. they develop over the course of this, uh, you know, every, every season you always get better over the course of the season. So that's what I'm to, I, I, I listen, I'm with Bryson here. I'm like, we got it. We talked about keeping an eye on tennis, keep an eye on track and field too. Because that's going to get real interesting real quick. Last note this, before we go. Oh, they have this uh, weekend off before they go to the Charlie Thomas Invitational at Texas A&M next weekend. Right, right, yeah. So even more competition at, at, at hand in the indoor season. Um, April 16th is the scheduled date for the spring game for uh, UCF uh, at noon. So noon kick, yeah. start making your plans right now if you want to. Uh, are we? Calling it a kick like we never do kickoffs. I don't know. Whatever. I've never been to a spring game. Don't intend on being one anytime soon. <laughs> well, well, enjoy, some Kyle. Of, some of us do. Some of us do. That's have why to. I depend on you. You'll let me know how it went. Yeah. It'll be great. And, uh, and yeah, so I think that, uh, you know, right. Here. And then we have one last little bit of news that we want to talk about, too. Um, men's tennis. Uh, right now, they're off to a All right, real quick, here. real quick. Yeah, so go ahead. Football will schedule Kent State 2023 home game. That's Folks, right. Yeah. We're starting to schedule like a Power Five team. We're playing a bunch of mediocre teams in the Midwest. We're, we're, yeah. And we're 
paying him to come here. Yeah, we're big time, hey. baby. Hey, first matchup with Kent State since the Mac days. Yeah, Hopefully, Kent State's still around. Let's bring, let's bring, uh, let's bring Josh Cribbs back. Josh Cribbs. Oh man, do you? And never understand because I looked this up and I can't be, I can't believe how old this is. This will be the first time Kent State's played in the bounce house. Stop! Wow. Don't tell no, me about cool. how old. Don't tell me about how old we are. Okay, uh, we already know about that, Bryson. Thank you. We let's we've seen Kent State play <laughs> UCF. You know, in person in the Citrus Bowl. Thanks a lot Amen for reminding that, us yeah. how old we Former are. Former NFL Cleveland Brown, great. Joshua Cribbs. Joshua uh, Cribbs, that's right. There. Let's just hope they're still around by 2023. You know, this, those Mac schools, they're, they're day-to-day when it comes to football programs. Shout out to my boy, uh, Anthony Lima, radio host for uh, 92.3 <laughs> up in Cleveland. Hashtag free Josh Cribbs. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, uh, one last little bit also, men's tennis. Um, lost at number three, Florida, 7 nothing up in Gainesville. Tough start, man. They... They they just murder themselves early in the year with these with these opponents. It's incredible. Um, but they're at I, they're doing ITA kickoff weekend as well. Sunday and then Monday they play Louisville, and then uh, and this is uh, this is this coming weekend. And they play either Stanford or Tulane. Stanford's number fourteen in the country. So um, this is man. a weekend for a rebound. This is a if you this is the well, they better hurry up, man, because like yeah, because like the, the you know I I think that they look at it like man, this is not how we wanted to start. They have a lot of road matches in the month. Of, in fact, they're on the road for the entire month of February. They have no home matches in the month of February, and then they're home March. March. Yeah, 4th the entire month of yeah, actually the entire month of March. Yeah, yeah they basically have a, they basically have a similar schedule. They have a road month team. and then a home month, <laughs> and then and then after that, uh, road conference matches. After that, it's basically yeah. a similar style schedule as as the as the women's tennis team but yeah i mean after a rough start against two really great tennis programs by the way georgia and florida are both really really good when it comes to when it comes to tennis but now is the time where you really want to get a rebound you want to get that win under your under your guys's belt because that's that's going to be important for the for uh development going forward i would think yeah all right so that'll bring us to a conclusion for the show, Hash, once again, hashtag free Josh, free Josh Cribs when Kent State. Comes Amen to that. To All right, I gotta, I gotta go. I gotta, I gotta go. Take you gotta go. Yeah, I gotta yeah, go. Men's you, tennis listen, semis. Right now. You did that entirely to yourself. Okay, I just want everyone <laughs> to know that you choose to do this. You're not covering the Australian Open for any website or anything. You, you, you do this to yourself. I'm I'm doing it to help Coach Roddick out. He's busy coaching the team, so when we get him on the show later in the year, we could break down the Aussie Open. You know, it's cool. a great tradition. Anyway, by we're out. By that time, it'll be all right. For uh, thanks to Bryson, it's Bryson Turner on Twitter. Thanks to Kyle the S O T G. Thanks to Brian Kenyako, UCF women's head coach, uh, women's tennis head coach. Thanks to you for listening. Make sure you follow us at UCF or UCF Banneret underscore SBN. You can follow. Us individually, Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez, Elo, also Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. Let us know about uh, how we're doing with the show. Leave us a review. We are uh, available wherever you get your podcasts, regardless of what device you have. If it's on Apple, you can download us via Apple Podcasts. If it's on an Android device, you can download us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We thank you so much for everything. Enjoy the weekend. Don't forget the block party this Saturday for UCF against Houston. Big game. We're all going to be there. It's going to be a blast. All right. For don't Eric, about Mike Hughes in the NFC in the AFC Championship game. And don't forget about Mike Hughes. But you know something? I'm gonna be. I'm gonna I, listen. First things first. I'm focusing on basketball. We gotta beat Houston. 
got to be in Houston on, on Saturday. I wouldn't. I'm all in, in on that Nance's game. Jim Nance's alma mater. That's right. Let's teach Jim Nance a lesson. For Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thanks for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We will see you Saturday for the game against Houston. 